there has to be a level that you find yourself that you emotionally get to that you say, oh, this is the warning level. This is my check engine light. I can't allow myself to get past that emotional spot and keep it in, right? We're so used to attempting to keep it in. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can find more calm, comfort, and clarity through the simple act of slowing down. My guest today is Rich Mushlanga, an incredibly talented massage therapist who integrates many different healing modalities into his work at his business, Massage Beyond. Rich is also a good friend and someone who has worked with me as a practitioner for going on seven years. I can confidently say that his work and our relationship has been pivotal for me in terms of coming to inhabit my body more deeply. Our discussion for this episode revolves around what it means to be embodied in this moment, what self-care looks like in a world where we are largely isolated from touch how to navigate the emotional shockwaves that are constantly rolling through our bodies like weather systems, and how Rich is taking care of himself and his body as a black man while navigating these tumultuous times, which include a constant stream of imagery of violence against black bodies. This conversation originally unfolded as a live interview on Zoom, so if you notice Rich giving a nod to an audience or observe that the sound quality of this podcast is not as primo as usual. That's why. Okay, let's get started. So you and I have been working together for, I was trying to figure it out the other day, I think almost seven years now. I I was looking at it earlier today and I'm pretty sure it's seven years now. And I have learned so much from you about my body, about how we store emotions in the body, old pain. And as I said before, just about coming back into the body. And then subsequently, kind of later in our work together, I started practicing Reiki and you've really helped me develop a deeper understanding of working with energy and working with bodies. And, you know, I think when I introduce you as a massage therapist, some people probably have a vision of you as someone who just, you know, maybe simply helps people relax. But I would say the emphasis is really squarely on therapy. Like to me, what you do is completely on par with psychotherapy, except instead of, you know, me laying on a couch talking, you know, I'm laying down and like my body is talking to you. So just to orient people, could you describe your work and kind of how you think about the body? Yeah. um, I think that's kind of a twofold answer. Um, I actually really enjoy the title of just a massage therapist. Um, I think at the same time as just giving this very simple basic answer to what I do, it still has this like large, large, vast area that there's so much that we're allowed to do and allowed to um, exemplify just if I'm interested in it, right? Um, So a quick way to say what I do is that I try to marry the physical and the emotional. One of my favorite sayings is that all I'm doing is just trying to find emotional balance through physical healing, right? In our societies, we are such physical creatures that 
I'm using a technique that cheats, right? So instead of me just asking you, hey, Jocelyn, how are you doing today? I use something that breaks down barriers. I put my hand on you with safe touch and then say, hey, Jocelyn, how are you doing? I could say that in the same exact way a thousand times and it will always create a difference with touch, whether that's if you rebound away from it or lean into it. Um, mm -hmm. But that's why I, I say it's cheating, right? Like I use that physicality to help us break down some of those barriers that you would normally have in straightforward discussion and conversation. Mm. And you, from my understanding, incorporate like a variety of different kind of modalities and different techniques that you've studied. Could you talk a little bit about, about how you do that? Yeah. So, you know, massage beyond the wording is, is very specific. I wanted it to be beyond physical therapy, beyond massage, beyond psychotherapy. Um, I wanted it to convey that we don't have to stay just in the physical relation of what we're doing. We could take things like um, <clears throat> talk, sound therapy, um, cupping, scraping, which is um, an American version of gua sha or using a tool to release the um, fascial tension. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my techniques come from the physical therapy background or Eastern practices. Um, and to me, that is just some of the best ways to quickly, quickly release without as much uh, associated pain with what we do. Because mm -hmm. as you know, a lot of what I do, just hand techniques, is a little bit stronger and a little bit more aggressive. So anything else modality-wise, I wanted to actually bring down some of that physical tension. Right, right. Well, I wouldn't say aggressive, but I would definitely say deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you almost kind of alluded to it in your introduction, but you said something when we started working together pretty early on where you were talking about your work and you said that it's so rare in this society that people experience touch in a way that's neither sexual nor violent, but that's simply caring. Could you say a little bit more about that and how that informs your practice? So I think if we all look in our backgrounds, um, once we pass a certain age in puberty, most, if not all of our associated touch now comes from either sexuality or violence, right? You stop getting hugs as much from all of your family members, right? Like you might get hugs from friends, but those are very few and far between when you look at the rest of touch that happens in your life for the, for the rest of your time on this earth, right? So that's like a quick way to look at why I look at the body and say, let's introduce safe touch, right? Like we all are usually craving touch and COVID is one of those extremes that's showing us how much we crave touch and interaction with humans like this. But that same sense is always there. It's just less severe than it has been the last three months. Well, so that's that's a really good segue into what I wanted to ask you about next, which is right. So we're in this this moment now, which is physically and socially so challenging and so strange. 
And because of COVID, we're not able to experience human connection and contact in the normal ways. And I'm curious what you think is kind of the impact of being so isolated from touch, you know, for yourself and, and maybe for others as well. Um, I think that's, that's probably layered <laughs> in a lot, just depending on what your quarantine is like, whether you were in a partnership, um, how long that partnership has been happening. Are you with parents or friends or are you completely isolated? Was that by choice? Um, mine personally, I think that I'm a little lucky. Um, I'm in a relationship. I'm married to my wife who we've been married four years coming up in about a week. Um, and she still likes me. So I think that, that makes a huge difference, right? Like we, we actually dig being around each other um, in our normal day-to-day life. She's a performer on Broadway and I work a lot with um, Broadway and film. We don't see each other a lot. We see each other on average once a week. So to have this amount of time together forced to just not do anything else has been really great for us. You know, it's just kind of back to basics. And again, like I said, it's great that she still likes me. Sometimes I would wonder. (laughs) Um, I think outside of those terms, you know, some people are going to be coming at this in a very different way. Are they in partnerships that are on the fringe of if it's going to work or not, or are they completely alone and they didn't expect to be alone for this long? All of these types of things create emotional shockwaves through the body. You know, and some days you may feel great, some days you may feel terrible, and then at this point, three to three and a half months down, you feel all the gamut of that within the same day sometimes. So it's less about you know, how do you feel and how do I feel as much as it is, how are you releasing that? Because we're all getting all of these emotions and all of these physical um, tensions. And then we just have to deal with how to release them on a regular basis. Right. Well, and so I'm curious, I mean, what do you even think about that? Because in this moment, sometimes it's so hard to even know what you're feeling or what it's related to, you know, I mean, the other day I was just like crying and I was like, I don't even know why, like, <laughs> you know, like it could be yeah. one of 17 different things, but like also like, I'm so lucky, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so when you've been talking to people and, and kind of thinking about that, is there anything that you sort of recommend to them about thinking about in terms of finding that that release just to kind of like a release gasket you don't even know what those emotions are but you need to kind of let that steam off yeah i i use laughter as kind of a great equalizer um always within my life within my work within my relationships i think it's a great way to release tension release um anger fear Um, so typically whenever I connect with someone, I try to remind them that there's some stuff to laugh about in this world. Um, shit's funny. You know, (laughs) sometimes we're allowed to just laugh and you can take two minutes to stop thinking about everything else. Um, that's not always the best policy, but I think it's necessary for a lot of people to understand that we can be in tense moments. We can be thinking about 
how the world is crumbling and maybe our finances aren't where they need to be and still look at something and just have a full hearted laugh. <laughs> I think that's really important to just bring people back to that. I feel that when we talk on the phone, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we always laugh, but yeah. you know, sometimes and frequently I find myself in these phone calls where, you know, it's the primary way I'm connecting with people and you just get into that cycle of like what's going on and pandemic news, or it could be talking about, you know, what's going on with the uprisings, like whatever, you know, any of these various, like incredibly challenging topics that you can get really into and then kind of getting lost in that. I'm curious, and you may not have an answer for this, but like, if you've kind of found a good way to sort of interrupt that train and like bring it back to something more present. No, I, I, I think, um, I think that's a, Great question. Um, I think that as a large black male in New York City, I think that's a great question to to ask me right right now. Um, the truth is, you can always intersperse some of these very wrought conversations with a little levity. It doesn't mean that you have to take away from the conversation. It doesn't mean that you have to stop completely. But we can have witty dialogue, nuanced dialogue, very, very painful dialogue, and still remind each other that <clears throat> under it all, we're friends, or under it all, we're still wanting to protect each other and wanting to make sure that each other are okay, right? Some people use love, right? Like some people will always say, I love you very much, or, you know, comment on how you look. I just use laughter. But I, I think that the answer is really, you don't have to shy away from those types of conversations. You just have to remember that they don't have to be the only conversation. And I think that's what people end up, um, uh, I would say, end up just falling prey to, that if we talk about something that's trying or hard that we have to stay there we like the conversation can't change it totally mm. can i'm curious like how are you relating to your body now touch is literally your job and so you're normally in constant physical connection with people and so of course you're you're seeing um your wife and you're very lucky to have your partner but you can't be engaged with all of the sort of constant physical touch that you normally are like how is that impacting you I'm going to let you on a little secret. I'm glad that it's only you and I, Jocelyn. No one else is going to hear this. <laughs> I have been wonderful without actually working. Um, the truth is I work a lot um, and I like to work a lot. I like to give my energy and my style of massage and manual therapy comes with my my personal energy. I don't shy away from um, letting people in. So that gets tiring, right? Like, and I don't feel bad about that. I want to give my energy. I feel like a battery that can give more than most people. Um, so when I had this moment of a forcible break, it was like day two when I got used to it. It, it didn't take a week. It didn't take two months. I woke up day two, two hours later than I normally would took a big stretch and yawn, walked my dog entirely too long, and went, okay, 
life goes on. Um, what is important to know is that I have the privilege to know that my type of business will be needed as soon as this is over. So I looked at this whole structure and said, okay, this is my break to recharge my batteries. This is my break to reconnect with my family, um, make sure that my relationship is as solid as I believe it is in my mind, because all of those things are going to be what propel me to be a better practitioner once this is over for all of my community. So, so you're, you're yeah. able to pretty quickly just step into the retreat. Mode. Oh yeah. I let, I, I like put these hands and just said, we don't need you for a while. <laughs> just <laughs> lay down. <laughs> kind of zooming out from the pandemic and everything else that's going on. Like I'm curious outside of that, what's your perception? So, you know, in this, this course that I've been working with people on called Hi-Fi. We've been talking a lot about coming back into the body. And I'm curious kind of what your perception is of how out of the body people are in our culture in general. So sort of not in this moment per se, but kind of pre-pandemic. And, and even maybe like what types of changes you see when people you know, come back into the body or they're able to release old trauma that they've been carrying around. Um, our society, specifically New York, is really great at completely compartmentalizing our body structures and functions. Um, so it's interesting to watch people like on a train or walking down the street. You can bump 12 people and not even register it because you're just so used to being jostled so much and it's not a big deal that's a good way to think about how out of touch we are with our body. Yes, it's, it's part of a defensive mechanism. You can't possibly react to every one of those bumps. But in the same time, as much as you can desensitize to that, someone giving you healthy touch, you're now desensitized to that. So you have to get that healthy touch four times, six times, eight times before your body starts mm -hmm. to register it, which is why, you know, getting a massage for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and a chair massage is just not the same as getting an hour to an hour and a half massage. Your body isn't going to release sometimes in that amount of time. And if you do get that, it should just be on one to two body parts rather than try to fit your mm -hmm. whole back in 20 minutes. <laughs> we have to pause for a moment to thank our sponsors, but stay with me. After the jump, Rich and I talk about how he's caring for himself as a black man in the face of an onslaught of images of police brutality, and how we all need to learn how to recognize when our check engine light is on. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. Being able to work seamlessly from home used to be a nice-to-have. Now, it's a must-have. And Basecamp is the best project management and internal communication tool for remote workers, hands down. If you're a dedicated listener, you may recall that I interviewed Basecamp co-founder Jason Freed on the very first episode of Hurry Slowly. I chose him because we are very value aligned on the idea of creating calm, sustainable ways of working. And Basecamp embodies that ethos as a product. With Basecamp, everything is organized around projects. 
which bring together all the things your team needs in one place. Key project deadlines, a to-do list with everyone's tasks, a place for shared docs and files, a message board and real-time group chat, and one of the coolest features, automatic check-ins. Recurring questions that get sent out so you don't have to badger team members to give you status updates. But my favorite thing is Basecamp's work can wait feature, where you can set notifications to sync with your office hours. So you only get updates when you're at work and not when you're trying to relax. Basically, the whole system is set up so that your team members can check in and communicate updates on their schedule. And the rest of the time, they can do something that's very rare in this universe. Uninterrupted, focused, meaningful work. To reinstate calm into your workday, visit Basecamp.com now to start your free 30-day trial. That's B-A-S-E-C-A-M-P dot com for a free 30-day trial of Basecamp. This episode is also brought to you by Hover. The other day, an artist I follow was talking about how people who have labor-intensive projects to work on have a secret elixir for joy. And it's true. Making stuff makes us feel better. And in my opinion, this strange, uncertain, improvisational moment is a weirdly good time to make stuff, at the very least as an act of self-soothing. I myself have set up not one, but three new websites since all this madness started unfolding. And all of them with domains that I purchased via Hover. When you're ready to launch your latest online project into the world, Hover makes finding and maintaining your new domain name completely seamless. First of all, Hover offers over 400 top-level domain name extensions to choose from, including all the classics like your .orgs and .coms, plus newer favorites like .art, one that really stands out for online makers who are keen to showcase their work. What's more, Hover doesn't constantly try to upsell you. Whois privacy is included with every domain, and features like Hover Connect make it super easy to connect your domain to a variety of popular website builders with just a few clicks. And if you have a bunch of websites like me, the more domains you register with Hover, the less you pay in renewals. So if you've got an idea you're passionate about, start laying the groundwork now by heading over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. I want to go into something a little kind of deeper in, in terms of talking about the present moment. I was listening to a live episode of the uh, Still Processing podcast with Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris last week or two, who are two like amazing cultural commentators who also happen to be Black, who also happen to both be queer. And one of the comments that Jenna made really stayed with me. She was talking about how, because of the pandemic, we need social media for human connection more than ever, right? But how at the same time, when you're on social media, you're also bombarded with these images and these stories of police brutality and how and how harrowing that is and so that space that you're going into for the comfort of human connection is also the space where you're witnessing these like traumatic events again and again and 
you know, as someone who thinks a lot about the body, I was kind of curious and, and someone who also I know is on social media, like how are, are you navigating that or how is that landing for you? It, usually I'm pretty good. Um, usually I can easily use social media as just a tool to separate from what's going on day to day. Um, and it's easy for me to do that. My work life forces me not to be on my phone for most of the day, right? So if I have eight hours worth of work, in that eight hours, I might be able to check the phone for a collective 35 minutes in, in all of that time. Yeah. Um, so usually that's pretty easy for me throughout this. And this is something that I think that a lot of minorities, this is a normal process. You have to decide how much you want to engage as in how much I want to see on a platform. Uh, as in, I, when I see a video that's playing, you know, it usually says on top the ticker that says blank killed by blank or brutal assault on blank. Um, I typically just don't watch the ones that say black person murdered black person shot um i'll usually read whatever um notes or or um copy that's with that mm -hmm. because i definitely want the information but mm -hmm. to be able to walk the streets and to be able to still smile every single day and engage with my wife and engage with my parents I can't continuously consume imagery that's of me or people like me being assaulted and possibly killed. Um, and that's just, that's protection of, of my energy, right? Like everyone has their own way, but I prefer that my energy stays intact. And then therefore my energy to all of my clients and friends comes at a very authentic space instead of, part of me is always being held back because I don't want to let that out with you. Um, I'll still be able to engage in conversation about said things. I'll still be able to know what happened, but the onslaught of, of imagery of violence against people that look like me or people that I love is just super damaging. Yeah. Well, it's like a, a secondary form of trauma. No, I was reading this um, essay by Elizabeth Alexander, who's the black poet. She was the head of African-American studies department at Yale for 15 years. And she was, it's actually an old essay. It's about the Rodney King beating. And it's like this analysis of that as this kind of embodied trauma. And she talks about how she actually goes back and pulls excerpts from Frederick Douglass's slave narrative and other slave narratives and talks about how they describe witnessing a slave being whipped, for instance, mm -hmm. and the physical empathy that they feel and the pain of not being able to stop it and describes it as this kind of secondary trauma that they, they carry with themselves. And so what I was curious to ask you about is someone who is so familiar with the body and someone who is also a, a black man about that kind of 
we're not always as conscious of, and, and by we, I mean white people in this instance, of, of how much trauma there is just for you in seeing that imagery because it lands in a different way of even reactivating kind of a secondary trauma. I think what's important to realize about our society is that for many people, I'll say people of color, I'll say just minorities, right? So um, LGBTQ plus family, um, minorities, women, we are force fed from day one in this perfect society, how much we are devalued every single day, right? So whether it's on TV with sitcoms showing, you know, a dad going, oh, that's just the old ball and chain or words that are always used to say black equals bad, you know, as as the ruling class of this country, a lot of white males, white um, hetero-seeming males, don't ever have to see that because it just it doesn't pertain to them. But there's a lot of people that actually feel the weight of always being devalued. But the truth is, because that happens for so long and at such an early age for so many of us, we desensitize to it and find ways to be able to still still interact with our with our lives with our friends with the people that we love so the truth is some of it just goes like water over a bridge you know it it will pass over or rush over i'll feel it and then i let it go to the other side because the the very very truth is i can't allow myself to be emotionally unstable because that's not safe for me in this society right if i'm seen as too angry too emotional too upset that's a place for me to be possibly a victim i think what's interesting is the metaphor you use of you know kind of this this water rushing sort of through and and over i feel like because you are so attuned to your own body and you're so attuned to working with energy that you're really good probably at doing that, at passing that through. But I wonder for people who do not have those capabilities, what's the advice for them? You know, when people are confronted with so many of these, these traumatic images on a regular basis and particularly right now, you know, how to navigate that. So you're not carrying I would say, body, honestly, you know? find a safe place to let it out, whether that's with people that you trust, um, whether that's in an online platform or in person, you know, whether that's through working out and physicality, right? A lot of us use massage. A lot of us use sexuality. A lot of us use um, working out to outlet some of that energy. Right now, some of those things just aren't available. So, the easiest way is to say, find your group, whether that means talking to your partner, whether that means talking to your family, whether that means just going out in the woods and screaming. There, there has to be a level that you find yourself, that you emotionally get to, that you say, oh, this is the warning level. This is my check engine light. I can't allow myself to get past that emotional spot and keep it in. 
right? We're so mm -hmm. used to attempting to keep it in. I said this a while ago um, on my Facebook that I was sorry to a lot of my friends that I got so used to keeping in the injustices that happened to me because to me, it was like, it doesn't matter to, to most people, right? Like, unless something really happens to me that violates me and victimizes me, most people don't want to hear about the everyday instances that happen that are very palpable and tangible. But the truth is, they should, right? Like, <laughs> the people around us need to actually know what we go through on a daily basis. So mm -hmm. I would say, find the people that actually you trust and let that out. Because these emotions can kill us. And we, we see it happen every single day. We, we look at um, mental health and we're starting to finally give that more validity. But some of these stresses are the cause of our mental health issues. They're, they're a definite symptom. What are you doing um, for yourself in terms of self-care? What are you recommending to other people, especially, you know, kind of in this moment where you, you can't offer people healing touch in the way that you normally would? Yeah. Um, I am a classic jock. <laughs> so um, I wake up and if I'm not working out within an hour, I already know that it might be one of those days that I'm just like, I'm going to let the feelings wash over and kind of settle on the bridge instead of going past. Um, my physicality of just using my body and taxing my muscles is always a great way for me to equalize my energy and emotions. Um, so I always say that to people. And it's funny that I told you all that you need to find people and talk to them more. I rarely do that. <laughs> I, I, um, I know, I'm tracking you down. <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> I, um, I don't like to admit my vulnerabilities. It, it's still, I would say it's much less taboo for me. I just hate hearing it. <laughs> that makes sense. I don't want to hear myself tell other people about my vulnerabilities. And it's less about the person and the safety of it and it's more just about i feel like i'm whining and that's you know that's easily a product of of how i grew up and and, and who raised me more than it is um talking about the people that are around me but thankfully i have people like jocelyn that are always willing to <laughs> push and prod and let me have space to let out that vulnerability <laughs> um so, but what if, what if someone, what if you can't be physical in the way, you know, because of chronic pain or just because of an injury? Um, you know, I, I, this is something I've been talking with people about as we sort of talk about this idea of embodiment, like how do you reconcile embodiment and being in your body and being present if you have chronic pain? And also, you know, for myself, that's not my position, but also I've just been injured. So I haven't been able to do exercise or have that physical release in a normal way, which has been kind of crazy making in this moment. Mm -hmm. I would say the beautiful part about the answer to this is that whether we were in COVID or not, um, whether you were injured or not, this would all be the same. Try everything, right? Like meditate, 
do yoga, um, go on long walks, scream very, very loudly. You know, I there's, have been doing some screaming in the woods. I, I mean, honestly, there are things that we don't think are, are normal societally that will bring us immense, immense pleasure and release. And you're allowed to try them all. What are some other examples besides screaming <laughs> in the woods? I'm curious. Um, I would say you can do your own sound bath, you know, um, laying on the floor, putting speakers close to you and finding the right tunes and the right energetic frequencies that can just wash over your whole body and senses for a period of time. Um, I would also say reading, you know. I think a lot of people believe that they don't like to read. I would amend that and say, you don't like to read what you've tried to read. <laughs> Try to read something else, mm -hmm. right? There's so many genres out there. There's so many books and now graphic novels that I think a lot of people can let themselves just sink into a good book, whether that's a magazine, a textbook, um, that's an easy way to find some of your own new techniques. Yeah, that used to be one of my, not so much anymore, but fiction definitely used to be one of my kind of primary ways of sort of recentering and just escaping when I was particularly overworked. I want to add to exactly what you were just saying. My typical is I can read probably a book every three weeks to four weeks, whether it's a physical book or an e-reader. I just finally started doing audible books um, while I was working. And I would still be reading another book, kind of playing with those pages over and over. During COVID, I haven't read a damn thing and haven't felt bad about it at all. I, there's, for some reason, reading without being busy just is not something I can give a shit about. <laughs> like, my wife has read like a book a week and is in a book club and talking about things. And she looks at me and looks at the book. And I just, I'm like, mm, good for you. <laughs> I don't want to read on COVID for some reason. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been the same, actually. I've been completely uninterested in reading. Who knows? It's like a, some yeah. type of cleanse happening. I just want to ask you a final question, which maybe we've touched on a little bit, but I don't think fully, which is, I'm just curious kind of what you have learned during this moment of pause or, or, or what's kind of like how that's landing for you as you're also like about to kind of go back to work? Um, I've learned that I don't like to work as much as I thought I did. <laughs> um, I, I love working with my clients. I love um, the interactions that I have and the friendships that I create but I lied to myself and told myself I really enjoy working a certain amount. I don't. <laughs> like, it's, it's interesting how much I'm fearing once we get back, really, and I think that's maybe in two to three months of getting back to like the proper um, post-COVID of going, oh man, I used to work eight hours a day hands-on, which really meant like, possibly 12 hours outside of the home. I just don't 
think I want to do that for a while. <laughs> so that's been an interesting revelation through this. Um, two, I've realized that retirement is going to be pretty cool. <laughs> I've thought a lot that retirement would be terrible and I'd have to find like take up knitting or something, become a chess master. No, retirement is going to be really cool. <laughs> Largely due to my work with Rich, I have become much more conscious of my body over the past few years and now typically do a better job of tending to it. But this conversation jolted me into awareness yet again. Awareness of how much I have not been paying attention to my check engine light, as Rich calls it. Awareness of how much the emotions roiling through me over the past few months have to do with not giving them a physical, bodily release. As a friend reminded me the other day, right action arises from being present. We can't act with integrity we can't show up with generosity. We can't be present to the pain of others if we're not present in our own bodies, if we're not attending to our own bodies. Let's make space to listen to the signals that they're sending us. On the next edition of Hurry Slowly, out in early August, I'll be in conversation with writer and meditation teacher Sebene Selassie. We'll be discussing her brand new book, You Belong, a call for connection during an era of separation. A subtle and illuminating read, You Belong explores how feeling joy in the moment, extending kindness to yourself, acknowledging injustice, and reckoning with historical wrongs are all part of belonging. So look out for that episode next month. And if you haven't listened to my previous interview with Sebene called Unraveling the Inner Critic, I'd highly recommend tuning in. I'll put a link in the show notes. As always, thank you to Matt Susich for producing this episode and to Devin Craig Johnson for additional audio tune-ups, as well as constructive feedback these past few months. If this episode got your mind percolating, I'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes. There's a link to leave one right down there in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and remember to take your time. <laughs>